Kia ora e te and welcome to Tall Stories, Tales from the Built Environment, a podcast series by the New Zealand Institute of Building. Join us as we delve into personal stories about inspirational career journeys for people in design and construction, as you too build your own story. Hi, I'm Tommy Honey, and it gives me great pleasure to be here today with these two fantastic industry professionals, Bella Franks and Louise Wooten. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Bella, uh, perhaps as we kick off, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a Wellingtonian. I grew up and went to school in Wellington and then studied structural engineering at Canterbury University. I've worked in Auckland and around the country and in the States, and then uh, have recently moved back to Wellington to take on the area manager role for my firm, ACOM, which is a multidisciplinary design firm. Thanks, Bella. I'll come (laughs) back to some of that a little bit later on. I'm really interested in your journey and how it's gone, but now I'd like to ask uh, Louise to tell us um, where you're working now and how you got there. Thanks, Tommy. Um, Yeah, I am a computational designer, which is a bit of a weird and wonderful job title, um, but I can tell you a little bit more about that. I've started at Oricon uh, a little over four and a half years ago. Um, Prior to that, I studied architecture. So I've moved around a bit in terms of where I thought I would end up going. I'm now working in engineering. But yeah, I've been in Wellington for about 10 years now. Loving it. Great. That's just fantastic. What I want to know is about your journeys to where you've got here, because essentially you're really working at the big end of town with quite large companies that are multinational in in some sense. And uh, Bella, I'm interested to know, did the job take you overseas or did you go overseas? I decided to go overseas, but it was a long time in planning. So fresh out of university, I chose to start my career with ACOM. I'd interned at a local firm in New Zealand, but the kind of global appeal and the opportunity to to work overseas really pulled me. I had five years experience, so I'd been doing structural design across different areas within New Zealand and and the Christchurch earthquake had happened. So I'd had a lot of hands-on experience in New Zealand and was ready to prove myself and experience some new stuff overseas. And this was all with AACOM here? Is that right? Yes. Right. Yeah. And so I discussed kind of moving with various people in the company. My managers were super supportive and me and my boyfriend at the time, now husband, decided that we would try and go to America. Wow. Which is very hard to get into as a Kiwi because of the visa restrictions. So my boyfriend was working for one of the big four at the time, you know, also a big American firm. And we thought that there was 2% chance that we'd get jobs that we wanted at the same time in New York City, which is where we wanted to go. Mm -hmm. But luckily I had the support from AACOM across Australia and New Zealand and, and, and they made it happen. So got very lucky there and landed pretty much a dream job in New York as a professional. Big office there? Huge. So uh, it really opened my eyes to the scale of the global firms. I had never been to New York and arrived in Manhattan thinking, you know, Acom would have an office there. Um, and then I realized they had four different towers that recently acquired the company that I was uh, working for, Tishman Construction, and had also acquired URS. So it was a behemoth design kind of powerhouse in the, in the center of Manhattan. But not many of the 
the different offices kind of interacted with each other. So it was it was so big that they had their own things going on. Um, and then that's when I realized I was a very uh, small cog <laughs> in a big company. And Hudson Yards, really? You got to work on a project there? Yeah, yeah. I um I, I was pinching myself a lot of my a lot of the time in the in the States and it wasn't just because it felt like I was in the movie because of the culture. It was um the I arrived at a time where construction was booming in New York and I started at Tishman Construction. They'd recently been acquired by Acom and they effectively were operating as a family run construction company. And I'm not sure if this is correct, but I felt like I was the first foreigner that they'd kind of hired into a, you know, a hundred year old New York business. And I don't think they really knew what to do with me because I was a designer. I'd been on site, you know, inspecting over my career, but I hadn't worked in the construction as a contractor. I was obviously foreign and a young woman. And so all of those things probably threw them quite a lot. I turned up to work for a couple of weeks in head office and they were probably scratching their heads going, what do we do with this girl? But I got a break, I think. There was kind of a pivotal moment for me where I was in a meeting about an opportunity that had come across um, Tishman's desk and it was a big bid for a huge retrofit relocation of a train station in central Manhattan. So Penn Station was moving under the Farley Post Office building and there was no one to really coordinate that bid and run it. And so for whatever reason, I asked a question in this meeting about something else and got the uh, attention of one of the senior guys in Tishman and he kind of took me under his wing and put me forward to uh, initially just start looking at the structural design of what they were proposing. But after three months or so, I, I find myself in the centre of this $3.5 billion bid doing the logistics, the pricing, the scoping with all the main contractors in New York. And that was a moment where I thought, oh my gosh, why are these people trusting me with all this responsibility? And it made me meet a whole lot of people in the firm. And, and after that, I got the opportunity to start on Hudson Yards as a, as a project manager on a, on a live project because the, the bidding actually got paused for the Farley Post Office building. So it was a, it was a bit of a whirlwind start in New York. And then I spent the best part of three and a half years working on the Hudson Yards development on the west side of Manhattan, building mega towers. Right. Because they are really large, aren't they? Yeah. So the development is it's about 28 acres. So it takes up a few city blocks on the west side of Manhattan. It's related to the developer. They It's the biggest private development in US history. So $25 billion worth of um, construction. They spent a billion dollars building a platform over a 30-track live rail yard. And then the first phase is what I worked on, and that was essentially eight megastructures on top of that platform um, above live railway yards. So my initial role was the project manager for one of those towers, the 72-storey tower with hotel and retail and um, luxury condos inside. So nothing I had ever dreamt of doing in New Zealand and felt completely unprepared for, to be honest. <laughs> so nothing you dreamt of. When you were doing your, was it engineering degree, BE in Canterbury? Yeah, structural engineering. So, so what did you dream of? Where did you think your career might have gone? What were you hoping to do then? It's a good question. At that stage, I was, I'd always been really interested in sport. My background was competitive sport, and that's what took me to Canterbury, actually. And that's kind of how I decided to do engineering, because I, I like practical stuff, but I also thought it would be easier to balance 
a sporting career with study. And so I think my dream job was probably working in complex sports stadiums and, and infrastructure around the world. AECOM actually bought a company called Hunt Construction, which specialises in stadium construction. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go to the States, and I kind of kept my eye on that. But Tishman Construction drew me in, and, and I, uh, I I never got a look in in the stadiums because I was having too much fun in New York. That's amazing. I'm just looking at a shell-shocked Louise. <laughs> look, you're not more shocked than I am. I'm just so impressed. I'm in awe of the kind of scale I you know, it's the stories that are underneath that, the buildings and the infrastructure and underneath Manhattan that intrigue me. So yours are, are particularly engaging. So Louise, when you were at architecture school, what were the things that you thought you might be doing or wanted to do in the future? Um, when I went to architecture school, I mean, growing up in New Zealand, there's not that, I guess, super, super scale that there is in New York. But I spent a lot of time as a teenager around nice places that we would potentially go on holiday, um, things like wineries. My parents were always big wine fans. And wineries are always full of really nice public architecture. And, you know, there's home magazines and all that sort of stuff at supermarkets. And I was like, oh, this would be really cool to work in a place like this um, or to like be able to produce that um, so I went to architecture school. I got about two years in and came across the wonderful electives that we would have on digital architecture. So that's actually bringing in programming and coding to the way that we design buildings. And I think from then I was like, I just forgot about all the public architecture that took me to come to live in Wellington and really enjoyed like producing and mass producing as well um, designs that people would um, inhabit. And it's always, you know, theoretical at university. But then when I came into my master's, I came across Oricon and what they were doing in terms of digital engineering. Um, so I work now in looking at 3D modelling, but 3D modelling at scale. So how can we produce repetitive elements? And I think Looking back, I don't know how I've ended up where I've ended up, but wouldn't pick another way to come to where I am now. This episode is proudly sponsored by Jib Plasterboard, your local plasterboard manufacturer. Jib Plasterboard offers a wide range of training programs and technical help for lining installation, fire resistance performance, noise control, wet area systems, and rigid air barrier solutions. Please call the Jib Helpline team on 0800 100 442 for technical support or register for a training session at jib.co.nz slash training and events. So uh, tell us about what a computational designer does, code, uh, I think, C-O-D-E, yeah, um, because it's a career or an opportunity within architecture and I guess engineering that I've, I've never heard of before as so articulated like that. Tell us a bit more about that particular role and whether you needed additional training for that. I mean, is it something you can just do with an architecture or do you have to go hunt out ways to learn more about it? Um, it's definitely something that you would go and hunt out ways to uh, come bring it bring that to life in your architecture projects. Um, there are degrees, nothing of the like in New Zealand. I think there's one degree in Australia, a Bachelor of Computational Design. But in terms of the job title itself, I think there's a lot of people within my own company and other engineering companies where it is something that's a little bespoke. The best way I would describe it is actually around design automation. So I think Automation is a lot better way to articulate than uh, computational. It's also rolls off the tongue. 
quite a little bit easier. But it's around how can we automate bringing to life what we are delivering as engineers and designers. In terms of the infrastructure landscape in New Zealand, it hasn't changed. You know, we're still building roads, hopefully building some more rail or light rail um, over the next few years. We've been building those for many, many years. Um, But how can we deliver things quicker? How can we deliver them at a lower cost? And so that's sort of the space that I'm working in, in terms of how can we get things done quicker, not necessarily cheaper, but at a higher quality as we start to move into a very like digital and asset um, heavy uh, stage of construction. Could you tell us where your role fits in the kind of ecosystem? Is it you in an overlap of Venn diagrams or on a spectrum? Are there, do you lead work or do, do you facilitate work that others are doing? I'm kind of keen to know where the role lies. Um, I think a Venn diagram would be a really good way to describe it. We've got lots of different pieces of the puzzle from design to managing how a project can come together to actually delivering that construction on site. Where I would sit as part of a digital role, um, the digital team. So we've got jobs like geospatial drafting and modelling that have sat in engineering projects for years. And so I just sit within that team helping them to do what they've always done. But in terms of what I would spend my time working on. Um, It's in a modelling software, um, looking at how can we build a really, really beautiful 3D model, but really quick. And so when an engineer comes along and we rerun something and we're like, oh, well, the modelling that we've done in terms of like modelling analysis for future, it could be anything. It could be uh, flood modelling. The bridge that we're looking at designing, it's actually a metre lower. How can we make sure that everything we've done to date, we don't have to throw out and start again? So we actually run through our coding programs. Well, let's just move everything up by a metre. All of the 3D models that we'd be delivering to our clients, um, they can just be regenerated. So I think it's, it's around that scale when things change or when we get better information. Um, How can we make sure that we're not going to fail on our timelines? So making sure that we can still deliver and meet all of the deadlines that we've set ourselves. Great. Bella, I'm interested, just having heard from Louise about her digital role, how much the digital world has overlapped with yours and the work you've done both here and in New York? Yeah, hugely. So both in the design um, world that I've been in and in construction, which was the Tishman job in New York. It's actually, while you're talking, it's kind of what piqued my interest about the States because uh, a, a visiting expert in stadium design came through the Auckland office of AECOM when I was a graduate and talked about parametric design. And he described it um, in terms of what you just said, Louise, in terms of when you're looking at the spatial planning of a stadium and how many people you can fit in the seats and the best viewing from each seat and then a major change comes in like a sponsor wants a cafe or, or or a section taken out because a big screen comes in and you need to change the seating arrangement and suddenly the optimal design is not optimal anymore. How can that be automated so you don't have to go around and change the flow and effect of every single element you've designed within that stadium? And that caught my interest that would have been close to 10 years ago now and I can only imagine the stuff that you're doing and how sophisticated that's got with programming being at the centre of it but the kind of gains that we've had through the design process and then in construction are felt daily so when I moved back from the States I worked on the city rail link for a year or so in, in Auckland and the design program we had for that wouldn't have been possible without the digital engineering expertise that we had in that alliance so for example 
well, my role on the project there was the area manager for one of the stations, Altair Station, which had 300 metre long cut and cover underground station in the middle of Albert Street. And it appears that Albert Street is the kind of utility highway of the Auckland CBD. So every single service that goes through there, gas, power, electricity, chorus, and we're plonking a great station in the middle of it. So, you know, the investigations and kind of relocations of those services um, were crucial for us to know where to build. And then the construction program started, you know, foundation walls at a time that we hadn't progressed to a detailed design stage for what's going in the station. So there's a major coordination effort to work out everything that a station needs to run including spatial layout of, you know, basics like trains and platforms, but right through to air conditioning and power systems and all the plant needed to keep a station functional and plan all that on the inside. On the outside, you've got a very, very narrow area to have all your utilities running outside the station that's keeping the rest of the Auckland CBD live. And then we've got to plan how to design the location and the logistics and how we build that entire station. And all of that was in a 3D environment. And all of that is, you know, kind of live information coming from the construction guys. And as designers, looking at that and then making decisions based on that information to best design the the rest of the station. So it is really crucial for design coordination and cost and time saving and and all, I'm not even going to say major projects now, in, in every project really that we do in New Zealand. The more that I've worked on projects, and I have worked on City Rail Link, a, a few different of the packages, is I've actually come across the information at a later date. So I've actually seen it, and we're looking at um, verifying the as-built. So I did a lot of work on the cut and cover um, and the, the new tunnels that were built down the other end of Britomart East. And I'm only seeing the inside of the tunnel, and then I send off all of my clearance checks, um, you know, nice colour-coded diagrams to see if we've built everything correctly. Um, and then I send it off. Someone sends me back a screenshot of all of the models um, that are exterior to what I've done and there is an insane amount of utilities under there so I can (laughs) definitely attest to like it is very much keeping Auckland City running um, outside of those tunnels. Yeah I I had a few sleepless nights when we first started uh, building the foundation walls thinking that we were going to hit you know something crucial to keep the city running but um, the the construction team did a very good job. I have to say uh, there used to be a very uh, special and little known pleasure crossing Albert Street sort of at the northern end, there was a, a crossing that kind of got bisected by the, the construction going on underneath and there were hoardings, but there was a little part where you could look through and look down through the surface of the road and see what was going on. And it was amazing because it was several stories down and massive. And just the idea that this would all be going on, you, you were aware of the construction with all the, uh, you know, the road closures and things, but not at all until you you just got a, a tiny glimpse of the scale underneath there. So it must have been pretty uh, um, exciting and daunting, I think, to work with the scale and, and in the processes that you've both been involved with. Louise, we heard about Bella's journey to, you know, the soaring heights of Manhattan. Have you contemplated leaving these shores? Um, 
I definitely have. Um, at the moment, very much not so. I've bought a 1960s asbestos riddled house in Wellington that I'm renovating. Um, so that's keeping me busy. But uh, after about two years of work, I really did think about going overseas. You know, New Zealand came back to normal. Um, so towards the end of 2020, we were all back in the office and I thought, perfect timing. Had a couple of years experience under my belt and moved to the UK. So interviewed, um, went through the whole process of going, you know, I'm going to go on my OE and went through an interview and the rest of the world, um, I really realised, was still under lockdowns. I would go to work here in Wellington and everything was normal. I would go out to the pub with friends and then I would interview with this company um, in London and they were all working from home. And I said to them, are you going to go back to the office anytime soon? Like, I don't really want to move to London to pay for an overpriced flat and then just be driven insane by my partner in an apartment also doing the same thing because we did that earlier in the year. And they were just very much like, no, I don't think so. Lots of us don't want to go back to work, even if it is possible. So I think made a pretty big decision, like, no, I'm not um, not going to move yet. A month later, bought a house and took on a really big role at Oricon um, within our emerging professional cohort. So, yeah, I was really happy to not go, uh, potentially on the horizon in years to come, but still got a lot of work, still got to get rid of the asbestos. But, yeah, that's a lot of manpower hours. Not me personally, but everything that comes once we get rid of it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Tall Stories, Tales from the Built Environment, a podcast series by the New Zealand Institute of Building.